0: In Mississippi, President George W. Bush had been there to visit, and uh, I'd heard on the radio that his motorcade was going to be going down I-55 from north to south, and so I thought, well, I was out making a hospital visit, and I thought I could time it where I could park my car uh, overlooking the interstate at a certain place I knew was a great spot, and I'd be able to see the motorcade go by. I'm sure that he would see me wave, and he would wave back to me, right? So I positioned myself, and and it was just perfect. Uh, There were no cars going north or south. They had uh, blocked off the roads. All the on-and-off ramps were blocked so nobody could be on the interstate. And so I, I waited and watched, I waited and watched. And after 30 minutes of waiting and watching, I saw cars going north and south. I was too late. He'd already come and gone. And I feel like that describes a lot of us spiritually. There's a sense that we're too late, that he's come and gone, and we've missed out on another spiritual experience with the Lord. Maybe you feel that you're lacking spiritual power in your life, that you're not getting anything out of God's Word That the sermons are boring. Be careful. (laughs) That there's no real desire or passion for God. Maybe you feel defeated. Yet Jesus said that I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. You can have it to its fullest. So what's happened? What's wrong? We once felt that way, that we were experiencing spiritual power in our lives, but it's not there now. Well, you need a spiritual awakening. Not occasional, but continual. Not extraordinary, but ordinary. Not emotional, but spiritual. Not superficial, but authentic. You need a return to your first love, Jesus Christ. As Jesus said to the church of Ephesus, in Revelation chapter 2, you have lost your first love. Well, how do you position yourself for spiritual power that is sustainable? Let me give you several ways. Today's more of a topical message as I'm introducing this generation series over the next two months or so. And uh, I want it to be specific about some things that I believe will help you as you position yourself to hear from God. And then act in faith and obedience so that you're going to sense the power of God move in your life as we're going through this series over the next several weeks. And I can believe it can happen today, that it can happen this very day, that you can begin to experience God's power in your life. Well, the first thing you need to do is surrender to God's will. Peter writes this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God... So that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. Now we often quote the second part of that verse, but notice what has to happen first. A person has to humble themselves before God in order to experience the care of God in their lives. If, if I want God to help me, if I want to experience his strength, his power in my life, it begins by surrendering, by humbling myself. To him. Perhaps you've surrendered yourself to your worries rather than God. The result is a loss of passion and power in your life. Well, how do you surrender to God's will? Well, it depends on who you are. If you're an unbeliever, you're not a follower of Christ, it begins with, it begins with salvation. Now, what does that word mean? We've talked about it before, but, but, but for those who are saved, who've experienced salvation, you understand this, but think about the person who's a non-believer, he's seeking God, he's trying to figure this out, and we throw around the word saved or salvation. He has no clue what that means. So I want to help you understand, if you're in that condition, you're watching or you're here today, what does it mean that you need to experience salvation? It means that because you have sinned against God, and we're all sinners, the Bible says, every one of us, we have a sin nature, And we're bent towards sinning, and we sin. And when that happens, that sin separates us from God. And God cannot allow sin into heaven. So we cannot have a relationship with Him now, and we certainly can't have a relationship with Him when we die. So we need something to happen to take care of that sin problem. Well, God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to save us from the penalty of sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, The payment for sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So God sent His Son Christ to pay for our penalty so that I don't have to pay for it, but Christ paid it for me. Now We call that His substitutionary atonement. My sin has been atoned, it's been paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ when He died on the cross. He took my place. So that means I'm saved from the penalty of sin when I give my heart to Christ. In that moment, judgment has been rendered. Not when I die, but when I give my heart to Christ right there. There's a penal aspect to it that right there I have been judged and I'm no longer condemned because of my relationship with Christ. And he paid the penalty. He paid the debt that I owe. That's what the word tetelestai means when Jesus was on the cross. It was one of the seven last words. To tell us that it means the debt has been paid. So your debt has been paid. The penalty has been paid. But secondly, it means that I've been saved from the power of sin. You see, without Christ, I don't have the capacity to overcome temptation and sin. I don't have the authority, the power, the moral authority or power to do that. The word moral means what we ought to do. And so we can't do what we ought to do, what is right in the eyes of God, apart from the power of God. And so when I give my heart to Christ, when you give your heart to Christ, then you now have the power of Christ in you where you're able to say no to temptation and no to sin. All right, that's the second way a person is saved, from the penalty of sin, from the power of sin. And now, look, we're not going to be perfect in doing that, right? We're not going to be perfect in overcoming uh, sin in our lives, but we, we have the power to do so. We can do so. Third, we're saved from the presence of sin. This past week, I did the funeral for Gloria Fowler, the week before Doug Golden, the week before that, somebody else. I mean, we've had quite a few. Now, here's the great news. The moment they died, they were no longer in the presence of sin. That was all over. And now, they're free from that body and now they're in the presence of God and enjoying all of heaven. Think of it. There's no sin there. no pre- So I'm saved from the, from the presence of sin. Penalty, presence, and power. So if you're here today or you're watching and you recognize that you've sinned against God and that you want to experience true spiritual power in your life, you want to have a relationship with Him, with God, Then in a few moments, we're going to sing a song, and I'm going to invite you to come to one of the pastors who are here at the front as you give your heart to Christ. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how bad you think you are. Yes, he will forgive that sin, whatever sin that is that you think God will not forgive, but you can experience freedom. You can experience true salvation that no one else can do for you. You can't do that for yourself Only Christ can do it for you. Now, there's another person in the room, and that is the believer. And you're trying to position yourself to experience God's power, to surrender to His will. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means that you need a proper understanding of salvation. You're not adding God to your life. He's not repairing an old life. He's giving you a new life in Christ. It's not just forgiveness of sin. It is giving your whole life to God. It is knowing God and it is walking with God. It's being fully surrendered to His will. Many, quote, Christians are really living life their own way. Their, their attitude, if they're really honest, is, I'll get to that later. You know, I'm busy with all these other things in life. Well, that's why you need them now. You're, you're making some of the most critical decisions in your life. You're raising up the next generation. You're building your career. And how do you do that? Well, it means that you come to a point of recognizing that a surrendered life is living in the now of God's will, in this very moment that you're living in God's will. That surrender of your will to God Will makes you more aware of the Holy Spirit and awaken to the very presence of God. Isaac Pennington said this, If we follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, we will be able to go through all that is contrary to God and into the things that are of God. It's a great quote. Therefore, you can experience a spiritual breakthrough. Now here's the fact. This is truth. That God is living within you. He is walking with you right now. Paul said in Colossians, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, walk in Him. Paul said in Romans 12, Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, a surrendered life. Holy and pleasing to God, this is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Listen. So that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect what? Will of God. So I'm constantly in a state of submitting my life to God, surrendering my life to God. We sang the song just a minute ago. When that happens, we're at rest with God. When I want to be at rest with God is when I'm yielded to Him. So the question is, are you walking with Him and in him are you fully surrendered to God's will now how else can you position yourself for spiritual power secondly release your passion for God you see passion is the evidence of an authentic relationship if there's a relationship there that's meaningful there's going to be passion now all of us in the room are St. Louis Cardinal fans and we have a passion for the team and sometimes we can act really crazy and stupid when we're a fan for the St. Louis Cardinals. Now, the word "fan" means a devotee, somebody devoted to something. All right. Now, here's the issue, though, that we are passionate about fan, as fans with the team, but we're not in the game. We're not playing the game. We're watching the game, and we get all excited and passionate. But the word fan is not in the Bible when it comes to our spiritual relationship with God, with with God's kingdom. The word that Jesus used is one word, follow. Jesus said, follow me. Now, following Christ, though, is not without passion, right? Jesus is talking to a Jewish lawyer and, and and the lawyer quotes the Old Testament, which says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. What is he describing? He's describing a follower of God who is passionate throughout his whole being. And our passion of God is not based on emotion, but on the truth of God's Word. You see, teaching that is grounded in sound doctrine produces Passionate followers of Christ. That's because you'll have confidence, you'll have authority, you'll have boldness. One of the reasons why Christians are not passionate is because they 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 don't have any authority or, or boldness. They they don't know God's truths. They don't know what they believe. So when they're confronted <clears throat> with other thoughts, uh, with other ideas, with uh, opportunities, they don't know how to handle it because. They don't know God's Word, and so there's no authority, there's no confidence in their Christian life. Therefore, no passion. So if I know God's truth, then with that confidence that it is true, then I'm going to be passionate. I don't care what other people think. I don't care what they say. I don't care what they believe. I know what I believe because I know it is true, and I'm acting out that truth passionately loving God with my entire being. That moves us to worship Him and to praise Him. Passion, though, also involves emotion. Emotion is a result of passion. Passion is a result of truth. God has given us feelings and emotions, right? That's part of who we are. The Bible says to rejoice, to shout, to praise, to sing, to clap your hands, to be jubilant. You know, we don't use that word, do we? Oh, he's jubilant. We don't use that word, but the Bible uses that word. That means we're passionate in our walk with him. If you love God, you're going to be passionate about him, and we'll express it in some form or fashion. It'll be a natural response. You don't have to teach a Missourian how to, how to cheer for the Cardinals. They innately know to do that, right? It's part of who they are. Well, it ought to be that way for us. Look, if we're going to be passionate about anything, we ought to be passionate about Christ and about what He's done for us. That I'm a hell-bound sinner. I have no hope. I have no meaning to this life here on earth. Absolutely no meaning in my existence. But He has given my life meaning. He's given my life love. He's given my life power. He's given me a home in heaven forever. We ought to be passionate about that. We ought to celebrate that if we're going to be passionate about anything. Remember, your passion is based upon the truth concerning Him. Now, How do you position yourself with God's power? Third, you embrace God's grace. We need to go back and understand the foundational work of grace. And I want to read in Titus chapter 3 these words. But when the goodness and love for man appeared from God our Savior. That's a great line right there. But when the goodness and love for you, put your name there, appeared from God our Savior, He saved us, not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to His mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. This Spirit He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace, we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. It's all there, past, present, future. Notice all that God has done. We have done nothing. Grace is God's work, and that brings freedom. We often relate to God based on our evaluation of ourselves or what others say about us. God wants our relationship to be based on how He views us. He views us through the completed work of Jesus Christ. When we rest in His work, we walk in His grace. Try resting in your work. You'll go crazy doing it. You'll go crazy wondering, have I done enough? Have I done enough? But when I rest in the work of Christ, then I can rest in the grace of Christ. Two of the greatest enemies to our faith are condemnation and a lack of understanding the Word of God. Either we don't know it or we don't understand it. And we sin and the enemy accuses us and condemns us. Now let me stop right here. Well, what's the difference between condemnation and conviction? I have sinned. The Holy Spirit convicts me of that sin. Then I agree with the Holy Spirit. That's confession. That's what that word means, to agree I agree that it is sin. I repent of that sin, and I go on in my spiritual journey. Condemnation comes after that confession and repentance. The enemy says, no, you're not forgiven. How could you have done that? So the guilt and the shame keeps piling on and on and on. And that's an enemy. Guilt and shame rob us of the joy and strength we find in Christ. Many Christians view Christianity as Performance type faith. It's Satan's trap because we become legalistic. We focus on our performance. If I perform well, God will bless me and he'll accept me. He'll love me. If I don't perform well, he won't like me. He won't accept me. Instead of encountering God, we encounter failure, which leads to condemnation, which leads to apathy. Why? We're focused on performance, on rules. Being transformed from the outside in. The focus is on works instead of grace. Grace is simply the goodness of God. The reason we love God is because He first loved us. He accepts you as you are, not what you are. Paul said in Romans, Therefore no condemnation now exists for those in Christ Jesus. You are free. Did you hear that? There is no condemnation if you are in Christ. I love this verse. John writes, Though our hearts condemn us, and sometimes it's a loud voice, God is greater than our hearts. When you focus on God's grace and not your performance, that frees you to love Him and serve Him all the more. Well, how else do you position yourself for spiritual power? Finally, you create space for God. If you want to experience spiritual power, you create space. The reason you create space, why? It's to fill the space. You clean the closet out over the holidays, and I bet it's halfway full again, right? You, you, you get it out so you can fill it again. Well, that's what we're doing with God. We're creating space for God so he can fill that space. You want God to do something in your life, but you have to create the space to hear from God and to have, allow him room to move in your life, to make it happen. Now, there are a lot of ways we can do that, but let me give you three ways the Scripture teaches us of creating space for God. Jesus gave it to us in Matthew 6. Verse 3, he says, But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees you will reward you. Then in verse 6, he says, But when you pray... Go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees you in secret will reward you. Then he says in verse 17, But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that you don't show your fasting to people, but to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now what are the three ways? Notice, give, pray, and fast. He's saying that way you're creating space for God to work. And notice he starts that by saying when you give, when you pray, when you fast, he's assuming that that's part of our spiritual discipline in our lives. So it's something that I know I don't do enough of some of these things. And we we need to do more of these things to create space for God. I know in my own personal walk with God for many, many years, that there are seasons where I know I, I need to pray more, I need to give more, especially I need to fast more so that I can hear from God. Look, there's too much going on in life for us to miss hearing God. I don't know what you're experiencing, but I know what I'm experiencing. I can't afford to miss hearing God. I want to know him i want to know his will and sometimes we get so busy in life don't we that we need to pull back jesus was great about example giving us an example of that so that these are some disciplines that we can create space for god notice giving your tithes and offerings creates space in your finances god can work through your finances he comes into that space to reveal himself And often we would never know God apart from giving in the way that He leads us to give, whether it's on a regular basis or at a special time in our journey where we need to give. His reward is not necessarily a financial reward. It might be another blessing. Now, I want to pause for just a moment. I do this just about each year, but we're talking about giving privately and uh, creating space for God privately through giving, but but it also affects the church. I I want you to understand what you've done this past year to create space for God to move in our church, and really it's setting us up for what is about to come. In December of this past year, our required budget amount was $241,000. You gave $433,000 toward our budget. For the total budget for the year, our requirement was $2,550,000, you gave $2,621,000, $71,000 over our required budget, which is another world record for Linwood. You also gave above and beyond that $400,000 approximately in designated giving for a total giving of just over $3 million, creating space here for God to work as He's created space in your life personally through giving. In missions, this last month, we gave about $14,000 in designated receipts for uh, missions. Out of our budget, we gave almost $400,000 and about $63,000 over the year designated toward missions, which is a total of about $460,000 toward missions. So I think we need to pause and we need to thank God and praise Him for what he has done this past year, amen, in this church, by giving to the Lord and creating space for him to work, amen. You created space for God to work personally and corporately through the church. But we also need to pray. Praying creates space for God. Paul says in Ephesians 3.20, Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in you. God's reward is not necessarily saying yes to your request. The reward could be something different a far, for a far greater reason. And then we fast. Fasting creates space for God. We all love this one, right? Well, fasting is saying no to food or something else that may be occupying your mind or your time, so that you're allowing God to speak through that means. All right? What we're doing is really saying this. We need to do these things and some other things, obviously, to create space to hear from God. We need the secret time. Jesus said you're doing this in secret. He rewards you in secret. When we give, when we pray, when we fast... We're creating that space for God to make us more aware of His presence and power and experience Him and a spiritual awakening. We need to get away from the busyness of life which distracts us, Satan's trap again, so that we can experience Him. We need time alone with God in these early days of 2024. Are you desiring spiritual power? Are you desiring for God? To move in your life. It happens when you surrender to God's will. Release your passion for God. When you embrace His grace. And when you create space for Him. Let's pray. Father. Thank you for being. A father who loves his children. You desire to have an intimate relationship with us. Not superficial. Not emotional. Not occasionally. But Father, every moment of our lives, you desire for us to experience you in a very real and powerful way. Lord, I pray that we'll position ourselves this morning whether it be coming to surrender our lives to you as Lord and Savior, experiencing a new life in Christ, or whether it's taking the things that are crowding the space that should be allowed for you and getting alone so that we can create space for you. To hear from you. And to act in faith and obedience on what you lead us to do. Father, there are critical days for our lives personally, for our families, for our culture, for our church. Father, may we not miss you. May we truly experience you and your power. And may it begin right now. In Jesus' name, amen. There might be those that need to come to Christ as I prayed. When we sing this next song, you come, as I indicated earlier, we'll help you. There might be others who are here this morning. And you're in the battle, but you don't sense God's presence. Don't listen to the lie of the enemy. Listen to the truth. He is with you. He's walking with you. He's in you. And he is there to help you. for whatever reason you're distracted, yield that to him. Surrender it to him. Ask Him to help you do that, and you'll experience His power. Maybe you need to create more space for Him in these ways I've described this morning that Jesus told us to do. There might be some that God is leading to become part of our church family. God is at work here. We we sense that. We believe that, and we, we see evidence of that, and we would love for you to come and join us in the work that He's doing in our church and through our church. There might be others who need a time alone here at the altar or maybe you uh, want someone to pray for you. You come. So let's quietly stand while we sing this next song as God speaks to your heart. You come right now.